Welcome to episode 137 of the Jackson Hole Connection, recording right here in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Support for this episode comes from Teton County Solid Waste and Recycling, and they are reminding you to reduce, reuse, recycle, and compost. Remember to avoid single-use products whenever possible and to bring your reusable bags while you go shopping. Additional support for this episode comes from Kilter Physical Therapy and Sports Performance Center. Each physical therapy session at Kilter is one-on-one with a licensed physical therapist. Every treatment session will allow you ample time for an individual evaluation, manual treatment modalities, and appropriate exercise prescription for your personal needs. Kilter Physical Therapy, where function follows form. More information at kilterpt.com. That's K-I-L-T-E-R-P-T.com. Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. I'm Stephan Clark Abrams, your host. Many thank yous to everybody who listens each week and all of you new listeners. On a little side note, I want to mention a podcast I listen to regularly. That is the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast. I say that we all can learn from each other. I certainly learned from the team at John Maxwell. And a book that I just listened to is called Change Your Questions, Change Your Life, a highly recommended listen to or read by me. My mission with this podcast is to bring you fascinating stories of people connected to Jackson Hole. The people sharing their stories are the same people we see around town, filling up their gas or shopping at the local hardware store. I feel we all have a story to share and I wanna bring you stories which you will connect with and add good energy to your day. Sharing stories allows us all to learn and grow so we may all live full lives. Today's guest is Stephen Sullivan, also known in the Valley as Sully. 31 years ago, Sully arrived in Jackson Hole driving one of those iconic VW Bugs. While surviving and living the life of an active Valley resident, Sully decided to bootstrap his own clothing company known as Cloudvale. Fast forward to today, and Stephen is running his second successful startup, which has been around for years now, and that is Steo. Stephen and the Steo team are the real deal. They run a highly analytical business while being true to their mission. Today, Stephen shares a ton of insightful nuggets about life, and what it's like to run a business, which holds true to the beliefs created by that business. This episode is perfect for you to listen to and have you think about what your core values and beliefs are and how you may act each day to ensure you can uphold those core values and beliefs. Sully, I appreciate you joining me here at the Jackson Hole Connection today. Uh, Very nice to meet you and, and welcome as a guest. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you today. Indeed. Let's start off today with sharing with everybody who's listening your history to the Valley. Um, how did you land here? How long have you been here? And um, who who is Stephen Sullivan, aka Sully? Um, hopefully you haven't had to have any competition with the airline pilot, Sully, <laughs> with the name uh, Sully. <laughs> no, he's much braver than I am for sure. Um, so I, I grew up in... Um, I, well, I grew up in the Midwest till I was about nine years old. And then my mom uh, got a job as a college professor down in Colorado. So I grew up kind of my formative years in Colorado and went to college down in Durango, Colorado. I mean, after college, I lived in Boulder for a year, which is, which is actually where I got kind of my first taste of the apparel business. I had worked in a bunch of outdoor retail stores through high school and college, but then 
went to work for a company called Wave Rave that was an early apparel company in the uh, snowboard business. And I did that for a year. And then my uncle got me a fancy job out in San Francisco. And I went out there for a year and, and hated it. I didn't hate San Francisco. It's a great city, but I, I just didn't, I didn't like the job that much. My best friend from college came out over Thanksgiving. This is in 1989 and said, you know, and this is way before cell phones or text messaging or anything. And so I hadn't spoken to him in quite a while. And he just said, uh, oh, I, I got a job, a ski pass and a place to live in Jackson. And I'd been up here several times uh, in my college days to climb and, and, and check out the community. And so I ended up missing my exit literally a couple days in a row on the freeway thinking about moving to Jackson. And the, <laughs> the second day I, I walked in and quit my job and wired him a thousand bucks and said, I'll be there in four days. And um, no Venmo then it had to go via Hawaii. No, no, it was Western <laughs> Union. And so I, uh, yeah, I packed up my VW bug and I moved out here, uh, kind of had all my worldly possessions and uh, moved out here uh, in December of 89. Um, December 6th of 89 is when I rolled into the valley. And so I lived here for 31 years and, and, you know, went through kind of the litany of, of you know, mountain town jobs. I, I, I was a waiter and a bartender and I taught skiing and, but ended up probably my most steady job was working at skinny skis and ended up meeting a friend uh, there that shared kind of similar entrepreneurial uh, thoughts. And, and we ended up starting a, a, a brand called Cloudvale um, in 1997 and uh, just totally bootstrapped that and, and got that off the ground. And, and it became a, a pretty prominent, but, but still pretty small brand in the outdoor space. And, and then we went through a litany of private equity hamster wheel activity and ended up uh, being owned. We got bought and sold a couple of times. We ended up being owned by Spider, the skiwear brand, who was owned by a bigger private equity fund. And in about the second year we were in that, Spider got in some bad shape. And, um, and so they, uh, they kind of went through a big management reorganization and they offered to let me buy Cloudvale back. And I spent about a year trying to get the brand back. And had a really great financial partner, um, who's actually my lead financial partner in Steo. And you know, long and short of it is, we got left at the altar on a deal, and um, and so I uh, I left and after because it got sold to another entity, and I didn't want to participate with that group. And so I had a little year and a half paid vacation to figure out what I wanted to do next, and and immediately knew that I wanted to get into the business again, but but do it quite a bit differently. Cloudvale was very predominantly a wholesale business. And so we sold to um, a large number of retailers in the US and then also internationally. And I wanted to, I, I was, was much more intrigued about the direct consumer business. And so I, I really wanted that direct connection with customers and the direct feedback from customers. And that's one of the challenges in the wholesale business as you go through, you know, you, you have your sales reps in between you and your customers, and then you have your retailers in between you and your customers. And so by the time you get that feedback loop, it's a really long feedback loop. And, and the development of apparel is so far has a long, you know, lead on it. So it's really hard to react to anything. And, and, uh, and I also wanted just a little more creative freedom. You know, the retailers, started kind of dictating what our product line should, should look like. And, um, because they wanted to fit us kind of in certain slots in their stores. And, 
and I didn't like that. And I just wanted more creative freedom. And, and so that, you know, with the second go around, I, um, I, I started a direct consumer brand and in Steo and, and that's proven to be uh, you know, a great model. Um, it's been much more kind of capital intensive. Um, I had to raise a lot more money than I ever had to with Cloudvale to, to get the business to where it is today. But, you know, we're now at a point of, of really hitting our stride and we're still growing super rapidly and, and at, at a pretty significant scale now. So it's, it's grown uh, tremendously, especially over the last five years. Congratulations. And yeah, it's been fun. Thank, thanks for, for sharing that history, that, that brief history. That's 31 years in about a minute and a half. So uh, yeah, the long, the long and short of it is I was a ski and climbing bum and um, somehow figured out something else to do. Do you get, <laughs> still get to be a climbing and ski bum? Yeah, I don't climb as nearly as much as I used to, hardly at all. But I, you know, I still ski a ton. I, um, you know, my goal every year is to have a hundred days on skis. Uh, now, granted, a lot of that is, you know, a quick lap up Snow King in the morning, you know, morning exercise. But, um, but I still ski a good bit, do a lot of fishing um, and and mountain bike and trail run a little bit. Cool. Good. Yeah. I love the trail running. I do too. Yeah. It's, it just releases you of everything, any stress that you might be having that day for me, it's just like, ha, gone. Yeah. There's something about running that is super fundamental. You know, there's no, you know, with skis, there's obviously a, a tech side of it. You know, what kind of skis you're using or your gear and the same thing goes with mountain biking um, and fly fishing for that matter. But, but, you know, running, you know, all you really need is a pair of shoes and a t-shirt and away you go. And, mm-hmm. uh, and there's something really cool and fundamental about going for a, a trail run. Well, I'm I'm really interested to hear when you first moved out here 31 years ago, um, did you see people taking the plunge such as what you did a few years later and starting their own businesses in, in the same way that that you were that you ended up doing um, and not just businesses locally but saying hey I'm gonna have Jackson as my headquarters and create a brand that's going to be known nationally and potentially internationally did you see that back then much um I, I don't think I saw that particular especially like the national uh level or international level brands that, that I've created, but, you know, I've had a lot of friends. It's been really, it's been really kind of cool. I have a really big core group of friends that have, have all been really successful in the community, restaurateurs or realtors or, um, you know, professional services like doctors and lawyers. And so that, that part of it is really cool being able to, to see, to have this kind of history with a lot of people. There was a big group of super cool people Um, and I'm not going to call myself cool, but there was a really cool group of people that moved here in kind of 88, 89, 90 in that zone um, that have all stayed. And, you know, now we've all raised our kids here and and have had businesses here. So that that part of it's been really cool. Um, No, I mean, I've seen some people create some really significant businesses in this town, Mm -hmm. for sure, whether it's owning multiple restaurants or or taking over real estate organizations or, um, or whatever it might be, you know, running, uh, opening retail stores, things like that. Like I was friends with Andy Olpen well before he opened Wilson Backcountry, for example, you know, and it's been really cool to see the progress he's made to build such a, you know, a successful shop out there. And so all sorts of little micro level stuff like uh, where I've seen friends doing really good stuff and it 
it is a community of entrepreneurs, I think. And, and I think the community, you know, with the help of, of organizations like Silicon Kular, for example, that has really helped to kind of raise the bar of, of what's possible to do out of a mountain community, because there are challenges for sure. The, you know, the largest challenge we face is, is talent now. And we're bringing in, you know, we have a hundred employees now and, and we're starting to really bring in um, serious experience to specific roles. And one nice thing about one positive thing, even though there are very few positive things about COVID has been that uh, the opening of the door to the remote work environment has opened our, our eyes to being able to bring in talent that doesn't necessarily have to be here because it's, you know, there are major challenges um, in this community, mainly workforce housing. And, and so that's been one, one cool thing about COVID is that we right now, we have, we have two employees that live in Portland. We have one in California. We have one in North Carolina. We have two in Maine. We have one in Florida. We have several down in Utah and that are all part of the corporate group. And so um, that, and, and some of those people are moving here and some of those people aren't going to move here. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's one thing we, this, this new reality of working from home or working remotely has definitely opened our ability to recruit. So that's been great. That being said, a lot of those people would like to move here if there was a better housing situation for workforce housing. But as we all know, that market is really challenged um, here in this community. And, and a lot of people, you know, I love it over in Victor and Driggs, but a lot of people, that's not their, um, th- that's not their gig over there. And they don't want to do the drive or whatever it might be. But it has also opened that door a little more too. You know, for example, I do have uh, half a dozen employees that live over there. Mm-hmm. And now that they're working from home, at least part of the time, it makes it a much more you know, tenable kind of existence. Yeah. Um, I can certainly see how it, you know, there's pluses and minuses to COVID, but the remote working has certainly opened it up. And I'm also glad that you mentioned Silicon Kular. And I'm, I'm curious with how you transitioned from the model of what CloudVail was, where you said that was a wholesale model and you decided to go to direct to consumer. Did, did you get resources or and and help from the res, from the group of Silicon Kular to help determine what does a direct to consumer business look like? Um, no, okay. um, I, I had some experience with it um, through Cloudvale because we did sell direct mm-hmm. um, on a very micro scale though compared to what I do today, and we did have one of our own retail stores, and so that. That experience is what led me, uh, you know, I have a great anecdote about we, we got to a point with Cloudville, as I mentioned, that the retailers really wanted us to just start to fill slots at their store. So if we were their number one, two, three, or four brand in the store, you know, they wanted their hard shell collection, their soft shell collection, their fleece, their base layer, whatever it might be. And they weren't, they weren't necessarily buying our more interesting, creative, kind of uh, highly designed product. Hmm. But, but we sold that more highly designed product, the more interesting product, the stuff I was interested in. We sold that really well direct and we sold it really well through our retail store. And so that was, that was really the catalyst in my mind that it, it was more about putting product out there and letting the customer decide what they wanted to buy 
mm-hmm. and not not going through all these filters of a sales organization and then a, a you know a wholesale organization and and then layer that on top of international which is a whole different animal i mean the difference between what japan wants to buy and what germany austria switzerland wants to buy is dramatic and so so this direct thing really appealed to me and it appealed to me for a, a number of reasons first and foremost was the, we, what we do is we, we run a highly analytically driven business that sells outdoor apparel. We analyze every single thing we do. We have five analysts currently on our team. And you know we have a, a lead marketing analyst. We have inventory analysts. We have performance marketing analysts. And, and what they do is they measure the results of all of our customer acquisition activities. So you know, we're a very significant cataloger. We'll, we'll send well in excess of 10 million catalogs this year, as an example. Woo-hoo. Yeah. And then we also, and now, with, so we're not a totally digitally native company. And catalog is still the best return on investment in our business, but it is expensive and it's, and it's hard to get off the ground. And, you know, we built an in-house creative team to be able to facilitate it, et cetera. But it's still a great customer acquisition tool. People s- still like to touch something to make it feel real. But now it's a combination of all the different activities, whether it's it's the catalog distribution and circulation or or the digital, the way we approach digital. And, and then we're also working on some more top of funnel type stuff now, like TV and podcasting and um, that we consider, you know, just the higher funnel type stuff. You're not going to be able to measure it or attribute it so quickly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so in our business, what, what's cool is that we build up the entire plan for the year on the marketing side, and then we match the inventory against it. And it's a fascinating model because it's much more predictable than it is to be in the wholesale business. Because, you know, in the wholesale business, you know, the West could have a bad winter and it totally skews like how much is going to get bought the next year. But when you're dealing with the whole nation, things equalize a little bit more. And so we've been plus or minus two or 3% every year on, on very significant growth for the last five years running on our, our business plan, which is just astonishing. You know, we had much, much bigger peaks and valleys at Cloudvale. And that would be based on, you know, one year REI liked the line, and the next year they didn't. And mm-hmm. that could swing our business millions of dollars where now it's it's just a much more predictable model. And, it, and it's also super fascinating to deal with all the analytics behind what we're doing. They really drive the bus um, on our business. And obviously, the first and foremost is you have to have a great product. I mean, if you don't have a great product, then all the great analysis in the world is, is for naught. But, but once you've got this product range and you've got it pre-dialed in brand identity, it then becomes, you know, a matter of, of really working through, like, how are you going to get that out to the, the best customers and the customers that are going to you know, transact? I, I appreciate that, that perspective that you, you bring to business and using, using the information that your customers are, are giving back to you. I love it. And we, at, at, for the liquor store and marketplace, we're getting ready to launch a, an analytical program that we're really excited about called Power BI through Microsoft. And it's going to give us a look at information that we've never been able to attain before. Um, yeah, and it, it, it takes a lot of the, um, the back of the envelope or kind of gut check or, or last customer I talked to 
uh, anecdotal information out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And but the most important thing about all this stuff is that what's what's been most fascinating is that you know we can put a product on the market and we know within thirty to forty five days if it's a winner, an okayer, or or a loser. And and then you know if it's a winner, we and, and we're seeing really strong sell through. It it helps inform the future as to okay, like we have a, a great example is we have a new product called the Fremont Collection, which is um, a men's and women's uh, hoodie and and zip neck out of this really creative, innovative uh, new power stretch fleece, and it, we put it on the market and and we do pretty big tests now. We buy pretty decent depths in most stuff even as a test, because we have a pretty big customer base, but this sold out in 28 days. Hmm. And so we immediately knew it was a winner. And so we can actually keep layering onto that program with new products to augment that collection fairly nimbly and rapidly. And like, like literally immediately after we find out it's a winner, it's like, okay, let's make sure in fall 22, we've got some more products in the pipeline in that collection. Well, in the wholesale channel, I wouldn't have found that out for 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. And, and so, and, and, and the, so the reaction time being in the direct consumer business is much more rapid. And that's what, that's what also makes it really interesting is, is how nimble you can be with your um, reactions to your customer's feedback. Um, and we take a lot of, you know, we get a tremendous amount of customer feedback now and we use all that feedback. I mean, we study the feedback, whether it's the reason somebody's returned something or the reason somebody loves something. And that that continues to inform not only the product, but the fit and feature set and, and the rest of the kind of minutia that goes into to building um, any product. Cool. I When I first moved here, I bought some stuff for skiing. And I think it was 20 years later before I got a new ski jacket. And it happens to be a Steo ski jacket. And when I went around shopping and then I found your jacket, I was like, wow, this is, this is a big difference between what I got 20 years ago. The, the features and, and that, that's in the jacket. And I, I, I love my jacket. And, and I'm not saying that just because it's Steo. I just like to see in, in the world of clothing how it all progresses. I think for me being just a guy, it's like, well, clothing is clothing. It's not like a car to me, but it does develop just like any other market does, whether it's a car or, um, you know, at a phone or your glasses that you wear, it it all changes. Yeah, it really does. And, um, you know, that end, one of the things that really got me into, into clothing was I just, I had an early love of textiles. And I think some of that was my uncle was kind of one of my outdoor mentors and he used to take the family on backpacking trips and stuff growing up in Colorado. And, and he, um, and I always got all his hand-me-downs and they were always junk, right? They they'd, they'd <laughs> completely hammered. And, and I developed, as I started working at outdoor stores, this real affinity for, you know, what was the coolest new textile. And then, you know, fast forward, one of the, one of the greatest things we we've brought into Steo in the last few years is we hired a guy, Sandy Flint, who had lived here previously and then actually gone off and got his master's in textile science and then worked at Burton Snowboards for about eight years um, before he and his wife decided they wanted to move back here. And it's been really cool having Sandy on the team because he 
he has a real scientist view of textiles and how they get engineered and how they get built. So we have some really cool new textiles in the pipeline. Some of them are a little farther out. Some of them are still a couple of years out that we're working on development on, but just, just ways to make it more comfortable to be in the mountains, you know, to, to have that level of protection, but also a level of comfort, breathability, flexibility, whatever it might be. And and it's that that's where the real art and outdoor apparel comes, I think, versus more of our lifestyle apparel is that although we, we use a lot of technical technical performance textiles in our lifestyle apparel, too, we've translated kind of the the outdoor, the classic, more um, outerwear tech into lifestyle as well. But it's really that marriage of a great design and a great textile and then a great feature set that kind of makes a great garment. And, and we spend a inordinate amount of time on that it's it's noticeable for sure yeah um i i want to take a quick break to get a word from our sponsors and then we'll be right back with some other curious questions for you sounds good teton county solid waste and recycling would like to remind you to bring your reusable bags whenever you go shopping around this town or the town you live in reusable bags are a fabulous way to help out the environment and your wallet wash your bags frequently keep germs away, and bag your own items when possible. We've already helped remove millions of single-use plastic bags from the waste stream in this community and many more. Now let's reduce the amount of paper bags purchased as well because you're bringing your reusable bags while shopping. Food waste composting in addition to yard waste composting is available at the trash transfer station facilities. Call 307-733-7678 for up-to-date hours of operation. Sully, welcome back. We were just talking about the development of textiles and how you became really passionate about, you know, what it is, what makes a piece of clothing. And I want to get into some other aspects of Steo and, and you and your business. And in a little bit ago, in the first half of, of the interview, you mentioned you got to make quality and you can certainly see it. I, I can see it in the jacket that I have. And I also have a vest that my wife gave me one year for Christmas. So I see the quality and quality lasts, but what are your values and your mission for your business? So when you guys are making decisions that you're, you, you know what direction to go with products. Well, one thing that's that's kind of overarching the whole business is, um, you know, this the thesis that we should be building stuff as sustainably as possible. So whether that's that we use sustainable products, whether that be the actual textile or the the zipper, or the the other findings like trims and buttons and snaps and everything, sustainability kind of overarches everything, and we we've actually made a kind of a new mandate that internally that we're going to migrate more and more and more to sustainable textiles. But we about 50% of the line right now is what I would consider sustainably generated. We, we either use recycled um, textiles. We, we, we have about 57% of the line right now is Blue Sign approved textiles. Blue Sign is an international standard for sustainably sourced textiles. So that, that kind of starts the whole thing. And then, you know, when the, the thesis is if you build really good stuff and it lasts a long time, that has a sustainable element to it as well, right? 
So, oh, yeah. you know, you're not building something like when you build an outerwear jacket, we assume that customer is going to have that for three to five to seven years, right? It, it's a very, we're, we're living in a little bit of an enigma here in Jackson in that if you buy an outerwear jacket, you might wear that 80 days a year. Well, somebody that, that is traveling here from Dallas on a ski trip might only wear that jacket eight days a year. Mm-hmm. And, and so there's, there's a real dichotomy there. Um, and in fact, I have a fun story. A friend of mine who's, who's an everydayer, I think he's skied every day at the village for the last six or seven years. He bought a pair of our, our Environ ski pants um, five years ago. And I was sitting next to him in the tram line last year, back when the tram was full. And his pants were just destroyed, right? I mean, they had, he had 500 days on them. And, 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 and it really, it, it, it offended me. He was still wearing them to some extent. Cause I'm like, Hey, why don't you just give me a pair? I'll, you know, <laughs> you're, you're a friend. I'll, I'll make sure, uh, excuse me, that you get, you get on a friends and family program. And he's like, no, I, I still like these. But I said, well, here's the deal. You send those back to me over the summer and I'm going to send you a brand, brand new pair of our pants, whichever ones you pick. Cause I want our team to be able to study those. And, and we did that very thing. I sent him a new pair of pants and he, uh, he brought in his old ones and, and it was a really cool exercise for our team to see like something that had gotten that much wear, like mm-hmm. literally, you know, 20 or 30 times more wear than the average consumer would ever dream of using. It's like uh, a dream for you guys to study that. Yeah. And that's one of the nice things about being here is that we do have really active end users in this valley. And, and so they 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 really help inform and and by the way if you're running the company or if you work here you hear about it all the time i mean i can't tell you how many times a day i get a you know a product comment good bad or otherwise and have to you know react to it and take all that into account but our whole thesis does center around how do we build in a sustainable manner and not just through the use of sustain, sustainable textiles but but build really quality products you know high stitch counts, really quality textiles, really quality fills if it's insulated. You know, one example is we use 100% certified down that is this just incredibly high quality down. I could buy significantly cheaper down if I wanted to and make the same garment. But by using this super high quality down that's also, you know, free of of abuse to the goose, so to speak, Mm. that that I can make a higher quality product. And if I make a higher quality product, it's going to last longer and the customer's going to be more satisfied. And, and we make a lot of products. So just because you might have a ski jacket that you're going to have for the next 10 years, doesn't mean that you're not going to buy into the brand and, and migrate over to buy a pair of our rivet, you know, corduroy pants or whatever it might be. So everything is around that quality and sustainability story. That's, that's awesome. Um, what drove you all not just the sustainability from the side of how long a product's going to last, but the impact that it has on the environment. What drove you guys in that direction? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I would say a lot of it is just, you know, under kind of the mantra of do the right thing and try to be good stewards of, of not only the, you know, our local, but also the world environment. But it, it was also, you know, it's very market driven. You know, I won't, I won't try to hide that. I mean, there is a, a tremendous movement right now towards sustainability across the board. I mean, look at, you know, one of the most interesting and fascinating things to me is the, 
the advent and tremendous growth of the electric car market. You know, there are, there are so many different options now out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and when everybody, you know, when you first heard about electric cars, it was a novelty. And everybody thought Elon Musk was nuts. And, you know, now his stock's at 675 bucks a share, and he's the wealthiest man in the world or whatever. And it's all based on having this vision that if you built something beautifully in a, and it had a more sustainable um, story that, that, you know, it's an if you build it, they will come kind of thing. He, I mean, talk about an if you build it, they will come company. I mean, mm-hmm. he had hundreds of millions of dollars invested before the first car came off the line billions and then um you know and then away you go you know he, he created a, a completely new category and so i think sustainability it, it it just has to be part of everyone's thought process in business these days you know whether it's you know we do uh, we're, we're actually for the first time um about um, three weeks from now um, in the, the first week of April, publishing our first sustainability report. And we're going through kind of everything we do, whether it's internally using, um, you know, wind powered electricity for our office locations and our retail stores, whether it's, you know, the DEI work we're doing internally and externally and, and the support therein of trying to get more people involved into the outdoors from, you know, socioeconomically disadvantaged folks. And, and so there, there's, there's a myriad of that. And that stewardship report will be published here in the next month. And, and it, it's pretty cool um, to see all the work we're doing. One of the, one of the biggest things we're, we're doing two huge initiatives right now. One is that we're going through the process to become a certified B corporation. And then we're also working on um, carbon neutrality. And those are huge endeavors <laughs> um, that we have put a tremendous amount of time to. And and built this internal stewardship team to help facilitate, but they're both really impactful. And, and especially, you know, in the immediate future, the carbon neutrality one. And so, so there, I think that all businesses these days have to be thinking like that because consumers are thinking about that and they care about it. And there are some leaders in our, you know, in our business. I mean, I, you know, we look to people like Patagonia who have, who have a long history of environmental stewardship and, and, and there are others. I mean, the North Face and VF Corporation is one of the largest leaders now because of their scale, they're a massive corporation, but they've made a huge commitment. And so you see when these multi-billion dollar companies are making this commitment that you better damn well get in line if you want your business to be impactful. And, and also just, it's straight up, a lot of it internally is just, we wanna do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what it really comes down to. I, I think it's fascinating that you are putting in some, um, the wheels in motion to become a B corporation. Could you speak to what that means? Mm-hmm. Because I, I think there are fascinating corporations. Yeah, so there's there's two types of B corps. There's like when you're officially like set up your corporation as a as a B corp, and then there's what's called B corp certified. I don't. I, I think the vast majority are B corp certified organizations. And what what becoming a B corp certified organization does is it takes you through a series. I think there are 200 questions, and you have to score 80 out of 200 to become a B certified corporation, but they're tremendous. I mean, it goes into every aspect of your business, you know, whether it's human, the human aspects and human resource side of it, whether it's the 
the vendors you work with, in our case, manufacturing vendors, you know, all over the world. And it basically what, what B Corp certified does is it provides a, a really clear path for an organization to do the right thing. And to get just to get to the 80 points, for example, is tremendously challenging. And that's why there aren't that many B Corps yet. But it, 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 what it's doing for us, we, we started looking into it nine years ago and then very seriously started to engage in it two years ago and going through the steps to becoming a B Corp. And we're hopeful that by the end of this fiscal year, very early in 2022, that we'll be able to be certified. But it, it essentially provides a much clearer roadmap to doing the right thing for any organization. And it, by the way, it's, it's, it's universal. It doesn't, it's not, um, it's agnostic. It's not just related to the apparel business. It could be, it could be a, a law firm or it could be whatever. So, and it's been a really cool and a, a, an incredibly eye-opening process to go through that. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on, on going through that process on, on so many levels. But the thing that strikes me is you started looking at it nine years ago. Yeah. And then you started working on it two years ago. Talk about, you know, in, in 20 years, people are going to be like, not even going to remember or think about the long haul that it took to become the B Corp. They're just going to know you as a B Corp to where, yeah. hey, it, it to arrive at a certain point in business it does take that long, far out strategic thinking. Yeah, you and, and with the B Corp certification, a lot of it was, you know, we took a really hard look at it very early on. And we just plain and simple didn't have the bandwidth to tackle it. Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was, it's a, a giant hairy beast to kind of try to get through <laughs> just even going through the B Corp. You know, it took me several days to just get through all the questions and not even, and then have, you know, tons of red lines where you have to go back and fill in the blanks. Right. And, and we just realized that it was going to need more focused attention. And so we've kept our eyes on it over the last, you know, years. And then um, actually thanks to our CFO, uh, Mike Morrison, who has really led the charge on this. We, we, and one of the great ironies is, you know, usually the CFOs businesses are all about the, the bottom line and the money and, and Mike is really a key member of our stewardship council and um, has really been a key driver in, in both B Corp certification and carbon neutrality. And he's also a super highly analytic thinker and, and, can, and was, was the right kind of person to really start diving into it and better understand it. And so he took it, he took it back over a couple of years ago when his bandwidth got freed up. But yeah, it's a, it's a long process. For some companies, it's it's not as long of a process. If you have a more simple company, we happen to work with a tremendous amount of vendors, um, international contractors, textiles, yeah, paper vendors for our catalog. I mean, you name it, it goes into everything. And so it, it could be simpler if you had a, a simpler business. We, we have a pretty complicated business. So that makes it more complicated to become a B Corp. Right here in little Jackson Hole, Wyoming. With yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's kind of fun, you know, we're, we're undercover becoming a pretty sizable company. And, um, and what's really fascinating is because we're direct to consumer, it's just not quite as, you know, overtly visible as it is when you're in all these retail stores and your friends mm -hmm. are like, oh, I was in Chicago and I saw your stuff in a store and, and we just, we send the stuff to all the people. And so 
directly. And, and so it's a little bit different way to build a brand, but it's, um, it's been really fun and it's, you know, it's much, much more sizable than my first business already. And, and it has continued to grow at a tremendous clip. I'm, I'm very happy for your success. I'm, I'd like for you to ask one final question and for people listening and thinking about where their business is or wanting to start a business, what do you feel has been one or two things that have helped you stay grounded with between starting Cloudvale and taking that to where it was and, and now start and now having Steo for, for a number of years now and, and seeing the growth, what has helped you just keep an eye on the prize? You know, I went through so much uh, drama with Cloudvale. You know, that was what I, um, my old business partner, Brian Cousins, and I used to call the million dollar MBA, you know, because it costs so much money to, to get the business off the ground. And, and we just went through the, we went through the meat grinder, you know, when it came to, um, you know, going through several different transactions and the business was kind of constantly up for sale at one point, you just getting horse traded around and, and then losing it, you know, that, that added a, a tremendous amount of humility into my life. I mean, that was kind of my baby and, and a life dream to start my own company and having it become somewhat successful and then losing that business makes you really humble. And, you know, I think that, you know, what, what any business comes down to is what you put into it, you know, and the hard work that goes along with starting a business and then re remaining humble as if it does well, is really important because I've seen stuff go so sideways. You know, I saw so many things go so sideways in my first business that, that I've, you know, I constantly remind everybody. I mean, we had an unbelievable year last year and the humility last year was that, Hey, we just happened to be in the right business at the right time. We were very fortunate. You know, people were trying to get outside. People were sitting at their computers all day and we sell things over the e-commerce and, and they were trying to get outside and we ended up having a great year and, and grew a, a ton. And, and we're on a tear again this year through the first quarter and growing again significantly. But there, there always got to be humility because stuff can go so wrong at any moment. I mean, we can have an entire collection not deliver because of, especially now with COVID, there, there's always challenges to overcome. We had a lot of challenges with our distribution this year, for example, because... I've got a dog fight going on in the background. Here. <laughs> we had a lot of challenges with our distribution. We work with a, a really great third-party logistics facility, but they're in California. And they had 30 to 40% absenteeism because oh, of COVID throughout the holidays, for example. You know, it puts a lot of pressure back on our business and, and also highlighted a place where we know we need to do better. And so there, there's so many uh, moving parts in our business that, you have to just stay humble and nimble and, and be thoughtful with the decision-making and to, to move the business forward. And I'm, I'm humbled by the people I work with too. I mean, I, I still obviously work here, but we have, we have a president of the company now, Noah Waterhouse, who, you know, essentially oh, awesome. runs the day-to-day -day operations of the business. And, and we've built a, a really robust team internally and they, you know, they really do all the work. So I, I have to, you know, I think one of my great, attributes as a business person is finding great people, but then staying out of their way to some extent. Not that I don't uh, fly around a little bit. I mean, some, some days I get called the seagull um, <laughs> when I'm, when I'm flying in and, 
and uh, you know, messing with people's worlds. But but for the most part, I've even tried to back way off of that because you have to allow people to go out there and stretch their legs in order for them to grow as as employees and managers and leaders and individuals. And so so it, I have a lot of I'm very humbled by how great of a team we have and, and, and all the efforts and energies they put into the business. Congratulations. Well, it shows your leadership that people are willing to follow you uh, with how well your company has grown, the success that you've had. Um, people follow great leaders and they followed you along and they've grown with you. Congrats. Thanks. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. This business has been a lot of fun. We're super excited to to keep growing and become a bigger part of this community and the national community. And it, it's really nice to add some diversity to the Jackson economy and, you know, the employment base and, and not, you know, obviously we're not a tourist based business. And, and so, so I'm thankful for that too. I'm thankful to be able to do what I can for the community. I wish there was more commercial real estate available. <laughs> I wish there was more workforce housing. And you know, <laughs> I, I beat up my commissioner friends and my town council friends about that, but, and, I, and I'd like to be able to participate more in, in those efforts moving forward, too. We can all only do so much, but do the best that we can with what we have. Yep, exactly. Uh, well, Sully, I so appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. You're running a international business and with international reach right here in Jackson. And thanks for being a part of our community. Um, it's people like you and your businesses and everybody that works with you that makes up the fabric of our community. And, and I appreciate it for what you've done and all that your team has done. And I appreciate Thanks. your time. Thanks. I, uh, yeah, I appreciate your time too. It's, it was fun chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks, Sully. Have a great day. Appreciate all right, you it. Too. Ciao. To learn more about Sully and Steo, visit the jacksonholeconnection.com episode number 137. Thank you to my wife, Laura, and my boys, Lewis and William, my editor and marketing director, Michael Morey, for keeping these episodes going each week. I sure hope you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back here for the next episode of the Jackson Hole Connection.